Thanks for tuning in to the Door Church's Resources Podcast. These classes and trainings are designed to equip you to live a life shaped by Christ and centered around the gospel. To learn more about TDC, visit our website at thedoorchurch.net. Let's dive in. Why can't we believe it today? Not believing superstitiously in the magic of words, not believing ignorantly in some easy, ghostly ideas, but believing with clean, sharp belief. The eternal God is not hidden in clouds, but is accessible to the human heart wherever faith that ought to transform. encourage you to grab your Bibles. As you know, we go through a lot of scripture, but I've also recommended before just to just to jot down the verses that we go through. If you want to go back and reference things, I, I would recommend that. Um, there won't be so much scripture that you can't do that. So this is the last week, in case y'all didn't know that. Y'all are the faithful remnant. And uh, I I hope it's been good for you. No, don't pay, yeah, don't do that. I hope it's been good. I really do, because um, I've enjoyed it very much, and I hope that that not only have have we learned some things, but but I hope that we're more in awe of who God is as a result of learning more about Him. Um, it says just our little tagline that the the, the truth will transform you. Well, it, it really does. The truth of God really does change your mind and transform your thinking. Um, and, and even can transform your heart. So we have been leading up to this last class on purpose. They, these weren't random topics, but there's kind of a narrative arc to what we're doing here. And we've learned about who God is and that God reveals himself to us, that he speaks to us. And we've learned about him. We've learned who we are as, as humans created by God in his image and yet fallen, sinful, and then we've seen God's plan of salvation, which was carried forth by Jesus. We, we see who Jesus is. So we see who God is, who we are, who Jesus is. And then now we come to the church. So God's redeemed people. What, what did the work of Christ purchase? Well, it purchases a redeemed people. And so that's what we're going to talk about, the, the church. And we just did a sermon series on the beauty of the church, if you missed it. There's, there's a lot on there, but um, one of my favorite moments in officiating weddings is getting to stand by the groom, and you get to see his face, and he's standing there in his usually rented, uncomfortable tux, and he's trying to act cool, but he starts blushing, and maybe starts crying, or maybe he smiles, and he sees his bride walk in, and he just beams, and I think we forget that, that that's how Jesus sees us, sees the bride of Christ, the church. That he absolutely beams at us, that he adores us, that he loves us in that way, that, that a, a husband seeing his bride would be. And so Isaiah 62, our first verse for today, says this. This is a prophecy way before Jesus came, but this is true about us, fulfilled in Christ it says, you shall no more be termed forsaken. 
and your land shall no more be termed desolate. You shall be called, my delight is in her. That sounds like a husband, doesn't it? And your land married, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. In Christ, that's how he sees us. Not as people he's okay with, not as people that he saved because he kind of had to, but people that he delights in and rejoices over. And we must remember that. And so we are God's beloved people. That God so loves us that he saw fit to redeem us through the blood of Christ. And so we are the bride. So what is the church? What, what is the church? And I think maybe all of us in this room have American lenses. We see the American church. And the American church is kind of a mess. Um, we've seen throughout history that the mainline denominations, if you go through a little town, you'll see all these different Baptist churches and Methodist churches. We've seen an explosion in the mainline denominations, and then we've seen statistically the, the bell curve begin to, to kind of sunset on some of them. And we've seen in the 90s the church growth movement where these massive mega churches, which were previously unthought of, uh, come into existence with thousands and thousands of attendees or members. And we've seen through the pandemic churches become, and even before this, political organizations for the right or for the left, just a mouthpiece for a party. We, we've seen a lot. We've even seen lately a lot of church close their doors uh, because of the pandemic. And so the church in America is kind of in an interesting spot. And, it, and really, it's, this is normal. Throughout history, the church goes through different iterations, and history and historical moments affect the church in different ways. And what we need to know is that this little thing called the American church is a tiny piece in God's massive worldwide movement. And so there's a massive movement happening in Africa. There's a massive movement happening underground in China. There, the church is flourishing and growing, and we just see this little peace through our American eyes. And that's okay. But the church, we just must remember, is not an American phenomenon. It was the, the, the story of the Bible begins in the Middle East, right? It's not even a Western thing. But the church, the, the church, the redeemed people of God flourishes in all cultures at all times. And so regardless of how we're doing here, um, the church is, is on the move because Jesus is building his church and has. And so, so some of the things that we're, we're not as a church, we're not a political action committee. We're not a mouthpiece for people that agree on politics. Um, we're not a man-made social club. Jesus, I was just reading in Matthew 15 this morning, uh, he, he rebukes the Pharisees for, for their man-made traditions. He's like, you forsake the commandments of God for your traditions. We're not that. We're not called to be that. So a definition, what is the church? This is a little bit verbose, but it's the best I could do. I'll repeat it. The church is the people of God throughout all times and places 
redeemed and brought near by God's perfect eternal plan to manifest grace to the rebellious people he loves. I know that's quite a sentence. The church is the people of God throughout all times and places, redeemed and brought near by God's perfect eternal plan to manifest grace. Remember that, we'll go back to that. To the rebellious people that he loves. So Colossians 1 will help illustrate this for us. It says this, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so in our sin, we, we, we live, we take up residence in the domain of darkness. We cannot see spiritually. We cannot make good decisions. We are just in a dark place with no hope. And when the light of the world brings us into the kingdom of light, we we begin to see again. And so we are a people of light, transferred citizenship, purchased by Jesus who was crushed for our iniquities to bring us into this new kingdom. You're never in no kingdom. You're in a kingdom. And Jesus purchases his people and brings us into the kingdom of light. So we're a blood-bought people fellow citizens of light. And we're a weird community. The church is a weird place, a beautifully weird place. So we can be offensive. God's truth, what his word says, not our take on it, but literally the word of God is very offensive and increasingly so. But the the, the culture, a grace culture is very attractive. And so the unbelieving world can both be offended and attracted by the church at the same time if we have a culture of grace. And the church is a place of of radical unity across substantial social barriers, rich people and poor people, liberals and conservatives, old people, young people, all races, ethnicities, the, the, the church transcends boundaries that don't make any sense. Like, why would these people hang out with each other? That's what our church should look like. People with different opinions, different backgrounds, different amount of money, different interests. We're a place of radical forgiveness. That the, the world should see the way that we apply grace to one another, to the family of God, and be absolutely flabbergasted by it. There is no mechanism for forgiveness like the cross that says that, that we come equal on that standing, on that grounds of, of being a sinner in need of grace. And so we should be a place where unreconcilable differences are reconciled. Radical forgiveness And what's unique about the church and a challenge for church staff is, as a church, we may be organized, but we're not just an organization, not a business, not just a cooperative of people. And we gather here on Sundays to sing, but we're not, it's not a concert. We gather here to to listen to preaching on Sundays, but it's not a, a speaking, it's not a motivational speaker, 
or performance. And so it's, the church is very unique. And what is even more unusual about the church is that we're a royal family. A royal family, princes and princesses, heirs of God, a royal family. 1 Peter 2 illustrates this for us. But you are a chosen race. Listen, this is true about you. I don't know if you ever thought about this. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. There it is again, into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, Isaiah said this too, and Hosea, God says, you're, you're not my people. He comes back and redeems. Once you were not a people, that's what we've earned as being not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy, a royal priesthood. We're part of the royal family. We are heirs with Christ. We've been spiritually raised with Christ. And so we should have heavenly priorities as a royal family. And this should make us very, very different people. I saw this experiment recently where this lady went into like a downtown and she was just looking up at the top of a building to see who would look up with her. And like everybody did. Her gaze was upward and it was strange and everyone else wanted to know what she's looking at. Our lives should be like that. We should be so other-oriented, so heavenly-minded, so content in who we are in Christ, and yet so ambitious for the kingdom of God that people see us and they go, that's different, that's strange. When I was in the business world, I worked with a guy and, and, and he found out I was a Christian. He said, I knew there's something weird about you. And there is, there's something very odd about the royal priesthood, about the family of God. It's because we have eyes that are set heavenward, and it makes our gaze elsewhere so that people would go, what, what, help me understand the reason for the hope that is in you in this suffering. Help me understand the reason for your generosity. Help me understand the reason for your contentment. So we're a part of the royal family, and we are Jesus' people. I just want to reiterate this. To be a Christian church, it means you're a church that is about Christ. Not just because you put up a sign, not even because you read from the Bible, but a Christian church is a church that is about Christ. Him we proclaim. Paul says, I resolved to preach nothing but Christ and Christ crucified. It's about Jesus. And so if we are a self-help church, not a Christian church, Again, I don't want to just keep harping on politics, but it's common now. If we're a political mouthpiece, it's not a Christian church. A Christian church is about Jesus. We're a collection of people who love Jesus. We are here because of him, redeemed by him, brought in by him. We're here for him, to live for his glory, to, to, to experience him in a, in a richer and deeper way. We have hope because of him. 
So we're lovers of Christ and we're beloved by Christ. And as someone who loves Jesus and is loved by Jesus, the Bible says that we're ambassadors for him. We're his ambassadors in this world, in this foreign land, which is not our home. So how did the church begin? Where did this thing come from? Well, it's ancient. In the New Testament church, you can trace it back to Pentecost, which is when the Holy Spirit fell on the believers and, and launched the New Covenant, New Testament church. But, but the church is older than that. Pentecost is really more of a continuation than an origination. The church is ancient. And so God keeps his promises. And he began with Adam and Eve and, and on with Abraham and Moses and Isaac and Jacob and the prophets. And he's promising this whole time to redeem his people, to save them, to give them a land, to give them a hope through a Savior, through the Messiah. And so he, he wants a relationship with his people. He wants his name to be glorified, and he wants his people. Those are his priorities. And so he's, he's been doing this throughout history. Let's look at 1 Timothy 1 together. It says, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, the ungodly and the sinners the unholy and the profane, those who strike their fathers and mothers. I think I've got, I think it was 2 Timothy, so I'm going to flip to that. My bad, Keystone. I want you all to hear this. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, this is Paul saying this, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus, listen, before the ages began, in which now has been manifested, this grace has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death, <laughs> abolished death, and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Paul says, For which I was appointed a preacher, and an apostle, and a teacher. The plan from before the ages began was to manifest grace, which is to say to bring unmerited favor of God to bear on people, to actually deliver this blessing that no one had earned, to manifest it through Christ. And the church, this, this, this people who have been called together in this, we are, we are not an afterthought. It's always been part of the plan. So what really matters here is that we, we know that we're not a part of a new movement, that we're a part of the ancient household of God, that we stand on the shoulders of the prophets and Abraham and Isaac and all these people that you read about in your Bible, they're a part of what we're a part of, or should I say, we're a part of what they're a part of. 
This is not a new movement, but a movement through the ages with a great cloud of witnesses throughout all times and people. We are part of something much, much bigger than us, much bigger than the door church. So who runs the church? Who's in charge of this place? Well, Jesus does. So Ephesians 5, which is a marriage passage, it says this. It's just a comparison here. For the husband is head of the wife, meaning he's called to lead her and love her and shepherd her, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Jesus is the head of the church. Not me, not the other pastors. He is the chief shepherd, and the elders, which are pastors, are simply under-shepherds. They're hired hands. It's a really cool job. So you, you get to do the bidding of, of Jesus, and, and elders are called to lead and feed and protect and pray for and care for the flock, which is not mine, but Jesus's. And so he cares for his flock through human means. And so we marry and bury and pray for and preach and, and, and do what we can to care for the flock imperfectly. But thankfully, there's, there's grace for us as well. And so we're elder-led here. I think most of you know that. There's a, there's a group of men who lead this church and are accountable to one another. So there's elders in the church. You have deacons who are gifted servants. And some of you maybe have had the experience where deacons run the church. They're board members or deacons serve like elders. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that deacons are, are, are those that are gifted in serving. And they came about because the, the, the pastors, the elders, were, were running themselves crazy. And the, and the widows were, were getting neglected. And so they, they implemented in Acts 6, deacons, a, a, that, that just means to serve in, in the Greek. And so deacons serve, and they're not board members or elders, but they are beloved and cherished leaders of leaders, servants of servants. And so then you have members, which a lot of us, maybe all of us in this room are, members of the church, the people that God has, has brought together and that we are covenanted together in Christ and so he's the, Jesus is the true authority. And while I say that, that pastoring is a, is a fun thing, it's a heavy, heavy thing too because every one of us will stand before God and give an account for how we lead and how we shepherd. And that's a sobering, terrifying thing because Jesus takes his flock seriously enough to die for them. And so he takes his church very seriously but he uses human means. And so what do we do as the church? What does the church do? I think one way of saying it would be that we, we grow up together as we behold together. We grow up together as we behold together. So what you behold, you become. Where your gaze is, like that lady looking at the top of the building, where your gaze is, and I mean the gaze of your heart, the orientation of your life, which you can track and measure by how you spend your time, how you spend your money, where your brain goes when all is quiet, what you pray about, if you pray, 
the orientation of your heart directs you to something, and it is either an idol or it's God. And as the church, we are growing up together in Jesus as we behold him together. 2 Corinthians 3.18 is one of my favorite verses. It says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We're growing up together in Christ. Is that not sweet? You get to watch me grow up in him. I get to watch you grow up in him. And this happens in real time. It's like watching your kids grow. And so we, 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 we pray together. We sit under God's word together. That's Acts 6.4, which is the same passage I was talking about with deacons. The pastors, they, they implement these deacons to help serve. And they say, we'll devote ourselves to prayer and ministry of the word. Meaning this is the main focus to make sure that we are praying and administering the word. And so, TDC Kids, what are we doing in TDC Kids? Prayer and ministry of the word. What are we doing in TDC Students? Prayer and ministry of the word. What are we doing in men's Bible study, women's Bible study? Prayer and ministry of the word. What are we doing here Sunday morning? Prayer and ministry of the word. And praise. And in all of those, praise. That's a part of ministry of the word is we rejoice over God's word. We rejoice at the reality of the gospel. So understand the power of that. It seems simplistic, I think. We just pray and we read the Bible. Does that seem simplistic to you? See the power in that. As we grow up together, as we behold together, We're becoming more like Jesus together as we become more like Jesus and we go out into our workplace and our communities and our families. There's an increasingly focused picture of Christ in the world, is there not? This long road of spiritual formation is changing the world for God's glory. It is not drudgery, it is not boring. It is revolutionary and it is powerful as we bring Christ into focus. And so we are to be a a city on a hill, a demonstration of the kingdom, a light of the world. Matthew 5 says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And it's not that we're so brash or abrasive, but it's that we demonstrate the reality of Jesus here in 2022 in Argyle, Texas. And I have seen this, and I am seeing this. I see this in our church family. I see us caring for widows. I see us welcoming people. I see us showing hospitality. I see us grieving together. I see us fighting for one another. I see this light. I see leaders in in our congregation who are in high positions of influence leading for the glory of God in a very different way way. And it's impacting the world. It's bright for the light of Christ. So what does church life look like? What does this look like? 
Some of you grew up in church, some of you didn't. Some of you grew up going on Sundays and Wednesdays and all the other days. And, and you might think when I say church life, I mean, how many programs do you attend? And I'm not saying that's bad, but that's not what I'm talking about. What does church life look like? Well, it looks like life together under the kingship of Jesus. We're not individuals that happen to go to the same church, belong to the same club, but we're a family that is knit together, the the royal household of God who are committed to Christ and committed to one another. And when you're with your family, at least I hope this is the way it is for you, you can't fake it. You can't put on pretenses with your family because they actually know you. And so we're to be known not to come in here whenever we have gatherings or events and act like we're all okay when we're not okay, but to be real with one another. That's what family is, to be known and to know other people. And so we can, can knock off the image management when we're here because we're more than, than, than even genetic family, but blood family in Christ We've got a mechanism for failures and shame and sin and frustrations and suffering. We've got a way to deal with these things. So 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, we show up with our anxieties and our fears. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. That's who we're under so that at the proper time he may exalt you. So we should be humble, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We can show up and say, I'm anxious about this. I'm afraid of this. We can show our weakness, bear our weakness, because this is a personal thing between you and God. It's also a communal thing. Because sometimes I need you to speak into my anxieties. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 tells us that we should gather together. It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We, we encourage one another in that way. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. We should meet together. We should gather together for theology trainings and Sunday worship and students, and we should, we should come together, and some of those are informal gatherings. Some of them are discipleship groups, but some of them are just friendships or, hey, can you grab coffee? I need to talk to you. Or We, we gather together under the kingship of Jesus. It's crucial. There's three things that that, that the book of James just kind of rattles off. There's a lot of things that church church life looks like, but here's a few that James says in James 5.13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. So we share our sufferings. We share our praises. Verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. If you're sick or hurting or suffering, please let me know so that we can pray for you. I've seen God do amazing things through the, the elders praying over people. And Chapter 5, verse 16. This one might, might be a little scarier to you. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. 
The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Do you confess your sin regularly to people? Would you say that that's true about you? And if not, why? You can. You're safe to do that. That's why Jesus came. So no sin is so heinous that his grace cannot cover it. So we should be a confessing people to take the air out of sin, especially secret sin, you confess it. You say, this is something that I've done or something I can't shake or, or, or whatever. I've, I've got to bring it to light. And our job as, as a church family is not to condemn, but to come around and, and to help them in that, that, that process of restoration and repentance and grace and then walk with them through that. I need that. You need that. We should be confessing people. That should be one of the weirdest things about us is that we should be confessing people. So there's so much more to be said, but it's really not complicated to live life under the kingship of Jesus together. We worship him together, and we work out our faith in real time together, caring for one another and spurring one another on in our race toward eternity. We just walk together in this. And I want to read from Revelation. This will also be up on the screen. You and I, if we are Christ followers, are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's a placard with your name on it. I don't think literally, maybe, but you're invited. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. That's our voice. Like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. That's the church. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. That's the covering of Jesus. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. We beautify the bride. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. That's where we're headed. The marriage supper of the Lamb, the feast where Jesus beams at his bride and there is a physical presence together at that table. And so until that, that day, we walk through life together under the kingship of Christ longing for that perfection, but seeing the, the light break in until one day we walk through eternity together. That's the church. That's what we're doing here. And it's only by the blood of Jesus. Let me pray.
Lord, I thank you for the people in this room who I presume and hope are, are Christ followers. I know some of them for sure are. I thank you that we get to walk through this life together under your kingship, Jesus, and, and, and we get to walk through eternity together under your kingship, Jesus. Would you help us to care for one another? Would you help the elders to, to lead well as Christ would have us? The deacons to serve well, the members to, to, to be those saints equipped for the work of the ministry. May we all go out as lights, being delightfully weird in this place being effective ambassadors, representing your kingdom here. And we long for that feast, that marriage supper of the Lamb, Jesus. We long for that day. And we rejoice that this hope is not something we just ask for or dream up, but something that is guaranteed for us. And so we can clutch on to this eternal hope on into the grave and thereafter. So now, Lord, as we talk, Holy Spirit, would you help us to, to just be open and be honest? Would you move in our midst and help us to see things through one another's mouths and experiences that we hadn't seen before? And we thank you for this series where we, we got to come together and talk about you. Lord, I pray that it's been profitable for your people. In Jesus' name, amen.